0: Well, good morning. I hope you have a copy of God's Word with you this morning. If you will, please be opening to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we'll be looking at verses 20 and 21 today. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. It's the last chapter in this letter from Paul. God's Word tells us, O Timothy, Guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Let's pray and ask for God to minister to us through his word. Dear Father, we know that your word tells us that we must learn spiritual things through the ministry of of your spirit dear God give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we might know your truth and that we might become more like your son it's in his name that we pray in the name of Jesus amen you know most of the time when we engage in conversation we generally make the last thing we say something important right think of the most trivial conversation you had with your spouse this past week over the phone you might have had nothing meaningful or enduring to say for the entire conversation. But what did you, what's the last thing you say? What are those last words? They probably were something like, I love you, right? We naturally understand that the last thing that you say some, says something about your heart. It speaks to what you value. And this morning we've jumped into this letter. By the Apostle Paul, he wrote it under under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to this young pastor named Timothy. And the sentences that we've just read are the last words in his letter, and they carry with them all of the significance of last words. At this point, uh, Paul could have said any number of things. He could have given Timothy all kinds of different advice, but instead he gives Timothy two imperatives, two commands. He says you need to guard the deposit entrusted to you And you must avoid deception. And this matters for us because our souls depend upon the truth of the gospel. This means that this isn't just good advice for Timothy. This is something that we all must heed. By God's grace this morning, as we see our text, we're going to to observe how truth is worth guarding. Truth is worth guarding. You know, God's word And the gospel it contains is a precious gift from God. And if you are in Christ, God is entrusted to you to be its guardian. Paul's imperative to guard relates to what he calls the deposit entrusted to you. He's speaking to Timothy, this young pastor who is encountering those who are straying from the word of God. They're saying, we found truth over here. And so Paul sees, Timothy needs to know, you've got to be grounded in the word of God. You must guard this deposit which has been trusted to you because the truth is on the line. And whenever the truth is on the line, souls are on the line. So what does it mean to guard the truth? Well, first of all, it doesn't mean that we need to guard God's word or the gospel because It's fragile. Right? How many of you have been to a museum and you go to look at the exhibit and there's always this layer of protection between you and this artifact, right? It's this thick glass. And it's not even really glass, it's this bulletproof material. And it does a really good job at, at protecting this uh, artifact from being damaged. It's the reason why you didn't destroy the Declaration of Independence when you took a trip to D.C. as a kid, right? This is important. It effectively does its job. But God's word, scripture, does not need to be guarded for this reason. It's not brittle. It's not breakable. It is alive with the eternal truth of God. In fact, God's word itself testifies to the fact that his word cannot be overthrown. This is a familiar verse for us here at Grace. It's Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8. You know it well. It's the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Jesus says in Matthew chapter five, verse 18, for truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, until rather, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the God, God's word and the gospel that it contains are not brittle things that depend upon you and me in order to stay true. That's not why Paul is saying we need to guard this truth. Have you been afraid to take God's word into your relationships and your friendships, into your workplace and into your school because you think it can't handle the pressure? Stop treating God's word as though it's this sickly child that needs to be sheltered for its own good. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So if, gospel, if, if God's word and the gospel are not these fragile things, why is Paul saying we need to guard them? Well, we don't just guard things because they're breakable, we also guard things because they're valuable. Um, they're, They're precious to us in some particular way, whether that's monetary or historical or sentimental. And God's word, as strong as it is, is more precious to us than all of the riches of this world. The original word that Paul uses for guard Uh, carries with it this image of holding someone in close custody. So to guard the truth means to hold the truth closely. And notice, we've been entrusted with this word. God has placed within our care something that is priceless. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. It's not something that you had by your birthright. God's grace has descended upon us, and he has entrusted you to keep his word. You didn't come up with the divine truth. It was entrusted to you. So Paul says, you need to keep it close. I want you to think back to your experience of buying an automobile. Think about buying a car. Um, this doesn't have to be a brand new car. It could just be new to you. It doesn't have to be last year. It could be five years ago. But think about this experience of buying a car. There's this fascinating period of buying a car that takes place where you want to do everything you possibly can in order to protect it, right? Right? So you go to, go to the dealer, and the whole family gets in the car after you've bought this new automobile, and you lock the doors and you say, listen, guys, we set some rules up, right? You are not going to eat in this car. <laughs> there are not going to be muddy boots in this car. There's not going to clutter. We're not going to clutter it up. You keep that glove box clean. And if you park this car, you're going to park it away from everybody else because you don't want to ding those doors up. How long did that last? How long did it last? not... Judging by your last, not very long, right? It lasts until you're on that road trip and everybody's starving. You gotta do something. It lasts until you gotta pick up the kids from soccer practice in the rain. It lasts until you need a place to put that stack of 50 napkins you took from Chick-fil-A. <laughs> you know you do it. It lasts until you park next to that car and its door leaves a permanent mark on yours. And you know that first Ding, that first stain, it hurts, right? Oh my goodness, it feels like you've been wounded personally. But after a little while, it means a little bit less. And then a little bit less, and then before you know it, it doesn't mean much at all, and you've given up on those safeguards that you had in place. You know, we can start out very enthusiastic about guarding the word of God. Um, We can set up our standards for protecting this precious gift But the temptation which is going to come at you very quickly is to care a little bit less, and then a little bit less, and then not at all. Compromise seeks us out. Compromise seeks you out. It is your old friend. It knows where you live, and it will track you down. And it it calls out to you to let down your guard. And we might profess to hold God's word in high esteem, but how long Does that last? Does it last until you realize that to believe God's word changes the way that you live, not just what you think? Does it last until you realize that God's word isn't quote unquote on the right side of history when it comes to abortion or homosexuality? Does it last until you realize that life's pains don't go away just because you are a follower of Christ? Or maybe it lasts until you hear that call of sin. That's beckoning to come, you to come into envy, into hate, and to lust, to live in pride. And then slowly you let your guard down. You realize what temptation is? Temptation, the temptation to sin is the temptation to say, God's word is not true. That when you're being tempted to sin, you're not merely being tempted to do the act, you're being tempted to say this word is. It's not from God. And if it is, it doesn't, it doesn't mean anything. It's not true. I know the way of truth. So in that moment, when we realize temptation is coming our way, when we realize that we are being asked to let down our guard, even in the slightest way, it is important, it is so important for you to remember that we have received this word and we can understand this word by God's grace. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So you look to Christ. You look at those nail-scarred hands. And in his sacrifice, you find all the motivation you need to remember how precious God's word is. You ask God for fresh eyes to see his gospel, truth to see that he sent his son to die a bloody death for sinners like you and me. And it changes your heart. Because it's not hard to guard something that you love. How many of us can say honestly, truthfully say, I love the word of God? I love the word of God. Now, I didn't ask you how many days in a row your version Bible app says that you've read, right? Do you delight in the word of God? Because when you see God's word as the precious gift that it is worth more than all the gold and jewels in this world, guarding it will become your delight. The truth is worth guarding. So Paul goes on to tell us, um, by way of his letter to Timothy, of an important aspect of guarding this truth, and that is to flee from deception which masquerades as truth. Flee from deception that masquerades as truth. Read with me in verse 20. It says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. And so here Paul gives us this insight and how to guard the trust by this additional instruction to avoid deception. Um, you know, falsehood doesn't always come clearly labeled if you haven't noticed. It doesn't play fair. It sneaks up on us. It tries its best to deceive us. And so Paul knows Timothy needs to understand, and we need to understand when deception is present so that we can get away from it so it can't sneak up on us. Timothy's context seems to be one in which uh, there were people who were trying to teach who did not know the truth. Paul describes it a little bit for us in the first chapter of First Timothy. It says in chapter 1, verse 6, certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussions, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So there are people who are claiming to know the truth, claiming to proclaim the truth, well, they're actually peddling deception. I think deception is a great catch-all for what Paul is describing here because it's the effect of this false knowledge. It's to lead you away from eternal truth. And Paul's instruction is very clear. He says, stay away from it, avoid it. And you might be sitting there this morning going, avoid it? Come on, Paul. That's not very bold. We wanna be bold. Avoiding it sounds like retreat. Let me tell you, avoiding deception It's about as much retreat as avoiding a landmine is retreat. It's in your best interest to stay away from deception. And if you don't, it could harm you dearly. Let's look at those words that Paul uses. He calls out irreverent babble. What is that? Well, it's this this worldly, godless, meaningless talk. And what's that look like? Well, in the context of the church that's gathered, it looks like preaching or teaching or songs or prayers that are not grounded in the word of God. Do you realize right now, you are not an observer? You are to be a participant in this worship service in two ways. First of all, you're a worshiper. You know, when Jim sings, he's not singing for you. You're to be singing with him. When someone prays, they're not praying for you. You're to be praying with them. You're to be actively engaged as a worshiper of God this morning. But you're also to be thinking through all of this. What did he say? What do we pray? What is the content of the song that we're singing? Because you have to hold everything up to the word of God if you're to understand whether it's true or not. And Paul pairs this idea of a reverent babble I think very well with the idea of contradiction. Because anything that contradicts the word of God is necessarily irreverent. It calls what God has said a lie. It says, I've received truth that contradicts what scripture is. And so you're holding up this lie and you're putting it over and denigrating the word of God. Um, How many of you are familiar with the uh, Christian rock band Skillet? How many of you have heard of Skillet? You know, their lead singer is uh, John Cooper. Uh, I think our very own Kim Killebrew went to high school with him. I think they've been here a couple of times. But he he recently wrote a uh, response in the wake of a number of Christian leaders leaving the faith. They apostatized. Um, I think one of them was uh, Marty Sampson. Another one would be Joshua Harris. These are very notable figures in Christianity, and they've left the faith. And then in the process of doing so, they tried to grab other people and lead them away as well. And uh, his insight, John Cooper's insight here, is very valuable because he's been in the spotlight. He has seen how quickly Christians follow after deception masquerading as truth simply because it looks good or feels good. Let's read what he wrote. He says, we must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me. I've been saying for 20 years, and seems probably quite judgmental to some of my peers, that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship singers as our source of truth. It goes on to say, it is time for the church to rediscover the preeminence of the word and to value the teaching of the word. We, don't need, we need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion. And what we are seeing now is the result of the church raising up influencers who did not supremely value truth, who have led a generation who also do not believe in the supremacy of truth. And now those disavowed leaders are proudly still leading and influencing boldly away from the truth. You know, these words have power in them, not because they come from the lips of John Cooper but because they reflect the word of God, particularly what we're reading today in 1 Timothy. So what does this look like for us to avoid deception? What does it mean practically? Well, a way that we can do that is to stop putting people on a pedestal where God's word belongs. How many of you have a friend and you say, well, you know, if they say it, if John says that, I believe it to be true. You know, it's great to have a friend like that. Not all of us are blessed with, with trustworthy friends. But God's word does not invite us to do this when it comes to eternal truth. It says you need to guard the deposit entrusted to you. You need to avoid deception. And this doesn't mean that you can't listen to or trust the word of Dr. Young or other pastors here on staff at Grace. But it means that you respect what they have to say, not because of their status, but to the extent that it reflects a biblically consistent understanding and application of God's word. Second, we have to stop thinking in terms of vicarious sanctification or sanctification through osmosis. You say, Spencer, what in the world are you talking about? Um, It's basically to say, being at church a lot doesn't mean that you're becoming more like Christ. It could. It could match up with your growing sanctification, but it could just as easily leads you to fool yourself that just because you are around a lot of godly people, you are somehow prepared to deal with the deception that will inevitably come your way. The only way that we can avoid the pitfalls that will come our way is first of all to know our Savior through repentance and in faith, and to know his word through regularly being in it. So we've received Paul's imperatives He's told us to guard the deposit, which we've been trusted with. He's told us to avoid deception. But he doesn't leave Timothy there. He also tells Timothy of the consequences of shunning the truth. And as we look at this, we're going to see that this principle emerges, that what you proclaim reveals your path. What you proclaim reveals your path. Look with me in verse 21. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith, grace, grace, be with you. Now this verse is leaning upon what we just talked about, uh, this warning to avoid deception, masquerading as truth. So Paul's effectively saying, if you profess a departure from the truth, your soul is in danger. So what you profess reveals your spiritual path. Um, So you've you've got to take care not to wander from the faith. And the word that Paul uses for profess here is a strong one. It's a powerful one. It means to proclaim, to announce to the world, to be open and emphatic about what you believe. You might hear somebody talking about professing faith in Christ, right? This is to openly declare that you are placing your faith in Jesus. But these people uh, weren't doing something secret. So these people were not doing something secret. They weren't doing something subtle. They were declaring something openly and emphatically. In Timothy's context, these were people who were declaring, declaring that they did not believe in the gospel. They forsook God's word. Can you imagine to look square in the eye the gospel of Jesus Christ and to say, I disbelieve it. Can you imagine the hardness of heart? You know, what, what if we were to, to, to take a step back and to say, well, maybe profession just isn't just the words of your mouth, what if profession includes the things I do, my actions? And suddenly, Paul's warning becomes more ominous for us because it means that we don't have to go down into the town square and stand on a box in order to denounce the gospel or God's word. It means that if you live in contradiction, it's gonna be proclaimed in your life. This isn't what you say you believe. This is what you actually believe. It's what you actually say. It's what you actually do. It's actually the state of your heart. Have you ever heard that that saying, uh, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. You know, I hate that to hear that saying because it is opposed to everything we read in scripture. The gospel is something that has happened. It is what Christ has done for his people. And you can't communicate that without using words. I want you to live as Christ-like as you can possibly be. Don't get me wrong. But you can't declare the gospel without using words. But let me tell you, you sure can tell the world that you don't believe without saying a single word. What you profess reveals your path. Let's look at the result of professing what is contrary to the truth. It says that they swerved from the faith. And this isn't like um, being in an automobile and somehow just, you know, swerving to miss something in the road. The words that Paul uses tell us something about um, someone who is walking away from the path. They're straying from the path. They're wandering away from the road. And so those who are professing what opposed to the gospel are said to have strayed from the faith. They are um, proving themselves to be estranged from God and without a savior. And these verses are not trying to tell you that you can somehow, quote unquote, lose your salvation if God has transformed your heart from a God-hating heart into a God-loving heart and you have faith in him and you have repented from your sin. It's not saying you can lose your salvation. What it's saying is that you can walk really close to the truth, maybe even for a very long time, But in time, if you abandon the truth of God, you will stray from the faith. You'll find yourself lost under the judgment of God. And we can appear pious. You can appear devout. But if your heart proclaims what is godless and contrary to his word, you will in time stray from the faith. You say, Spencer, I'm a believer. I know the gospel. I know his word, that's not me. Well, I I don't know your heart. I can't possibly know your heart. But I ask you to take God's word and to use it as a lens through which you see yourself. And if you find that you care little for God's word and you care little for his holiness and you care nothing for prayer and you care little for the church and you care nothing at all for the lost, then your life is proclaiming something different than your mouth. We're told that those who departed from the faith, they strayed from it, right? They didn't run. doesn't use the word for sprint. It's this idea of wandering away. So little by little, they stray from the truth and authority of God's word until they leave all together. And I'm not trying to tell you, brothers and sisters this morning, that if you have a single sin, that somehow that puts you outside of the kingdom of God as a believer in Christ. What I'm trying to say, I'm trying to encourage you to take care that the profession of your life matches the confession of your lips. And when you find that your life doesn't match up with what God's instruction tells us to do, you need to fear it. Not because something can somehow pluck you from the hand of God, but because you have believed a lie and replaced the truth with it. Because that's what we do when we sin. We disbelieve the truth of God, and it ought to hurt you. It ought to hurt you that you can possibly do this to the God who you love, to take his truth and to shun it and to put it away. Return to it always. Christ had to die for that sin. It ought to mean something to us. You know, if this wasn't important for believers to think upon, Paul wouldn't have written it to a young pastor named Timothy. We must meditate upon these words. And as we come to the end of our passage, our time this morning, I want us to to take just a moment and look at those last words Paul uses. After all that he said, he's he's instructed and commanded, you need to guard the deposit which has been entrusted to you. You need to avoid irreverent babble and contradictions, these deceptions which masquerade as truth. And after all of this, even showing the consequences of abandoning truth, he ends with these words. He says, grace be with you. You Aren't those, those words like a cool drink of water on a hot day? If we're in Christ, we can rest in the grace of God in the midst of all of this. If God is with us, our surety, our hope, and our joy endure as our minds are focused upon the grace that is ours through our Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you don't know what it's like to have that comfort and rest, because you have not yet believed upon Christ and turned from sin, run to that grace that is yours through the blood of Christ. Turn from sin. Trust in him. My prayer is that all of us, every single one of us in this room, will be able to say with the psalmist, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Pray with me. Oh, dear Father, Lord, we are foolish people that need to be reminded all the time that your truth ought to direct our lives. We thank you for the gospel. It frees us from sin, not by sweeping it under the rug, but through the atoning sacrifice of our Savior. Lord, let this word Go with us outside these walls. Let us boldly proclaim this truth, which is our hope. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen.